welcome to QPod, QIC's Investor Insights podcast series. I'm Craig Valenzuela, Managing Director for Global Business Development, and each week we have our listeners to take 10 and get the latest economic insights from our in-house economics team. And good morning to our Chief Economist, Dr. Matthew Peter. Morning, Craig. Matthew, New South Wales has just hit a new peak of 239 COVID cases, and the warnings are it is still yet to peak. Whilst the New South Wales government has announced earlier this week our strict lockdowns will last another month, I'm getting a little worried I'll spend my September birthday in lockdown. If that extended scenario does occur, Matthew, what's going to be the cost to our nation? Oh, so much for the cost of the nation, cost to Craig of uh, having to celebrate a milestone 30th birthday at home. Thanks, uh, anyway, <laughs> look, uh, you know, gags aside, Craig, uh, what's happening in Sydney is really evolving in a very negative way. Most estimates, including ours, is the cost of the Sydney lockdown is running at about $800 million a week. Uh, so extending the lockdown to the end of September would mean a total cost over the September quarter of around $11 billion or about 2% of Australian GDP. Yeah, it's always quite alarming when you hear that the army is being brought in to help deal with it. That all sounds very linear, Matthew, the $11 billion and 2% over GDP, given the way you've calculated over a weekly basis. But surely a longer the longer rather the lockdown generates some more upward convexity in the cost. Oh, you're right, Craig. That That is a, a linear or mechanical uh, type of exercise uh, to get that 2% of GDP. And and you're right about you know what you term the convexity or the additional damage that can occur uh, when uh, lockdowns are extended. And one of the key side effects is, uh, you know, the hit to confidence to consumer and business confidence that extended lockdowns can uh, impart. And while we still have consumer and, and business confidence at pretty high levels, we've seen those indicators uh, starting to turn down. And so that is a concern going forward. Yes, yeah, so Matthew, when I take that very large number of $11 billion, also the potential um, erosion of some confidence, it all presents a very interesting crossroad for inflation. Last week, we spoke of the risk of stagflation, which I found interesting that the BCA research team also picked up as a possible risk this week. Yet this week, we've seen a jump in domestic inflation to 3.8%. So as investors, how do we interpret all this? Yes, well, inflation certainly underwent a large jump uh, in the June quarter, as you say, Craig, up to 3.8% from just 1.1% in the March quarter. But the key issue the market is dealing with at the moment is how much of that spike in inflation will be enduring and how much is uh, a one-off or transitory. Typically, uh, we'll look at core measures of inflation that net out uh, the items that have price movements at the extremes of the spectrum, uh, as those movements you know, are typically not sustained over time. And in the last quarter, these core measures of inflation uh, for Australian inflation were averaging just 1.7%, which while up from the March quarter estimate of uh, around 1.2%, is still well below the lower bound of the RBA's uh, target inflation rate of 2%. So as far as the market's concerned, both the outturns for headline and core inflation were almost spot on with expectations, including ours, Craig, and I, I will say that we're on the podium uh, for both headline and core inflation in Bloomberg's rankings of top R forecasters for Australian inflation. But because that was largely expected by uh, the market, now consequences, we virtually saw no response 
in fixed income markets on the release of the data on Wednesday. You saw my thunder there, Matthew. I was going to congratulate the team on uh, on picking that latest inflation print. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our chief economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the current inflationary forces shaping your investment outlook. Matthew, we also saw US core inflation jump recently. And did the FOMC meeting that was held this week seek to address this? Well, the Fed made no changes to policy at this week's meeting. Given the inflation report, uh, which saw uh, inflation hit 4.5% up from 3.8% in May, the Fed Chair Jerome Powell Craig was absolutely peppered with questions on inflation in his uh, press conference that followed the uh, FOMC meeting. Now, in that conference, Powell reiterated the view that the current spike in inflation is transitory. He, he noted it centred on a handful of categories such as cars and airline tickets, hotels and, and the like. Items that are suffering either from supply side constraints as the reopening of the manufacturing sector is taking time to catch up with the increase in demand or there are items that are re-establishing pre-COVID uh, price levels like airlines, for example. Now, both these causes of price rises are thought to be transitory rather than permanent. Hence, the Fed is biding its time before reacting with tighter monetary policy. Now, as a side issue, Craig, uh, the U.S. statistician uses a very different methodology to calculating core inflation than does our ABS. And if you look at the um, the U.S. and Australian data, you see the headline inflation rate sort of matching up, but the core inflation rate in in the U.S. much much higher than the core inflation rate in uh, Australia. Now, in the U.S., the core inflation rate just excludes uh, so-called volatile items of food and energy from their calculation. Uh, but in Australia, the ABS uses a more statistical-based methodology that excludes outlier items, you know, both on the high side and on the low side, as large spikes in individual items are typically not sustained or short-lived. That's the rationale for taking them out. Now, applying the ABS's methodology to the US data gives a core estimate closer to 2% than the US estimate. US estimate of 4.5%. So that lines up a little bit more like what we're seeing in Australia. Yeah, that's really interesting, Matthew. But I go back to the overall print. Both jumps in US and inflation still must reinforce that inflationary outlook, right? Yeah, well, you might think so, Craig, but that's not how the market has been reacting of late. Look, the interesting thing, Craig, is that nominal bond yields in the US and inflation expectations actually peaked around April this year. And that preceded the release of the recent spate of uh, high inflation numbers. Now, since then, since April, both bond yields and inflation's expectations have actually fallen, notwithstanding those those high inflation prints. Inflation expectations, which is a key indicator of the inflation outlook for both the Fed and the RBA, uh, are quite well contained at the moment, uh, trading between 2.2 and 2.4% in the case of the US and uh, between 2 and 2.1% in the case of Australia, well within the target range of uh, the uh, of those central banks. So up till now, the market is uh, buying into the idea that the re- recent inflation spikes are transitory. And if anything, I would say the markets are reassessing down their view, basically on the back of a, a weaker view of global growth in the face of the spread of the Delta variant. And Matthew, it came out in this morning's papers, the question, has the US recovery peaked? And so maybe the market is... Uh, is highlighting that as well. OK, 
Okay, so we also have, however, amongst all this, the US President Joe Biden looking to use those large fiscal packages to support real assets. My understanding was there was some success overnight in the US around these packages. So does this present a tailwind, a real tailwind for both real asset equity and credit investors, Matthew? Well, Craig, I don't know if I'd characterise the Biden fiscal packages as necessarily designed to support asset pricing. You've got to remember that the packages uh, he's currently trying to get through Congress do include a hike to US corporate tax rates uh, from its current rate of 21% to 28%, hardly a positive for risk assets. Uh, but the sentiment of your question, I, I agree with, you know, expansionary fiscal policy, particularly when it's married up with uh, easy monetary, po- monetary policy, usually uh, supportive of asset valuations, providing, and this is the provi- this is the interesting bit, providing the macro policies aren't excessively inflationary. But what's key here is not so much just the uh, rate of increase in inflation expectations, but it's that increase in infl- inflation expectations relative to the rise in interest rates. A rise in inflation expectations can still be consistent with a positive outlook for risk asset valuations, Craig, if is outpacing the rise in interest rates. And that's precisely the situation we saw over most of 2020. Remember there, 10-year inflation expectations rose from a low of 0.6% in March up to 2% by the year end. But at the same time, US 10-year bond yields went from just 0.5% to 1%. They went up by a far uh, lesser pace than inflation expectations. As a consequence, real interest rates were actually falling. And as we know, that's a very conducive environment that is falling real interest rates for risk assets. And of course, the S&P 500 rallied by over 60% over that same time horizon. And of course, Matthew, coming back off the back of last week's podcast, that kind of fiscal spending as well could be quite effective against any sort of potential stagflationary environment. You're listening to Craig Valenzuela and QIC's Take 10 podcast, where our chief economist, Dr. Matthew Peter, is taking us through the current inflationary forces that are shaping your investment outlook. Matthew, as we look across the next six Six to 12 months, what should investor, institutional investors be looking for as signals for the direction of where inflation's heading? Craig, again, you're spot on with your sentiment. Picking the direction and su- sustainability of inflation over the coming six months will be among the most difficult, but also the most critical decisions influencing your view on asset pricing. Now, most of our usual indicators of inflation are typically scoured by the market such that any nuance change in these indicators, such as those published in consumer sentiment indexes, are immediately priced into the market. Uh, Similarly, any hint of a change in view by our central banks is also immediately priced by the market. So being short of being clairvoyant, um, following these standard indicators and and doing the usual RBA watching is unlikely to get you ahead of market moves. So what can we do? Well, in the current circumstances, what I'll be looking at instead of the usual indicators indicators is actually the pace of the vaccine rollout in key East Asian markets that are responsible for the bulk of global manufacturing trade. I think it'll be the risk of lockdown in these currently very low vaccinated countries that could potentially extend the supply chain disruptions that are causing the recent inflation spikes. 
And that could turn something that we think is going to be temporary phenomena into a more sustained one. If you see the likes of Vietnam, Thailand, Philippines, Indonesia, Taiwan, South Korea still languishing at vaccination rates at or below 20% of their population by, say, come October, then I would become very worried about a more permanent hit to supply chains and hence to inflation. Thanks, Matthew. Very interesting again this morning. In summary, the longer the New South Wales lockdown that's becoming increasingly strict goes for, it's costing both the New South Wales and Australian economy by eroding 2% of our GDP. However, as the lockdown continues, we can expect the weekly cost to increase if sentiment is impacted, as Matthew highlighted. And with inflation jumps in both the US and in Australia this week, irrespective of the calculation differences in core inflation, has the FOMC got it right in judging that the print is being affected by transitory inflation? Finally, with COVID-19 leading to multiple economic phases in a very short period of time, picking the direction of inflation going forward will be a key ingredient for very real asset investors. And one key factor to consider will be the vaccination rates in Southeast Asia being the world's manufacturing hub. I'm Craig Balanceweather for QIC's QPod. Thank you for listening and have a super weekend.